So, so here's what I want to do. We're going to study the book of Acts. We're going to go over overview the handout that you guys have, and uh, uh, etc. And here's here's what I want to present, and that's this. We can look at the rest of the New Testament from here on out, and just kind of do what we commonly do in Sunday school classes, yeah. right? And we can kind of go, okay, hey, Romans tells you to do this and to not do this. And Ephesians says do this and not, you know, Ephesians says husbands love your wives. Right. Ephesians says kids obey your parents, right? And, you know, in Thessalonians, and just kind of give this Sunday school, but I don't like that, if you haven't met me by then, if you haven't met, right? Because there's something bigger, richer, deeper going on. So I'm going to use Acts and our understanding of Acts now to pick up the story of Jesus, which is the story of Israel being fulfilled, which is now being carried forth by the church. And the reason why I, I, I want to say that is because of this, is because it's the, the New Testament, the gospel, the church's mission, our Christian lives, is not simply about being good people <laughs> and about telling people about Jesus and how you need to repent. And, and it's about fulfilling God's mission. And we fulfill God's mission as God transforms us in his likeness. And so I'm going to be a good person because the spirit of God's transforming me. You see, the Sunday school answers, and I don't mean to put down Sunday school. I hope you don't misunderstand me on that. But, but, but the simple gospel that we hear, how's that, is try harder. Yeah. Right? Work harder. You know, stop, stop swearing. <laughs> right? And, 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 and do this more. And, and, and pray harder. Right? Instead of saying, no, prayer is about entering into the presence of God. The Heavenly Father who came down in the person of Jesus Christ, remember, we beheld his glory. Remember that in the Gospel, right? And now God's, Jesus' answer, remember, this is our story in the Gospel of John, right? And Jesus' answer is, hey, I'm checking out for a while, guys, but it's going to be for your good. Well, how can it be for our good if Jesus was God in the flesh? Because I'm sending you my spirit, and he's going to be in you. Right. Remember, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, John 14. Right. Oh, I'm going to dwell with you. Remember Matthew's gospel ends with, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end. So the, so the gospel is about entering the presence of God. And, and then in communion with him and then being transformed by him. Right. And so, of course, I love my neighbor. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm getting rid of my, I haven't gotten rid of it, but I'm getting rid of my anger. Because as I dwell in the presence of God, whether it's through prayer and fasting, whether it's through serving, whether it's through the scriptures and studying them, whether it's, whether it's corporate worship and gathering together with God's people, right? whether it's exercising my spiritual gift, whatever. I am growing in the likeness of Christ as Christ dwells in me and transforms me. And so now I'm not preaching legalism or moralism. I'm preaching transformation. And so I want us to see the story of the New Testament in this light of God dwelling amongst his people. Right? So I could obviously preach for a long time, but I'll, I'm not with that. All right. So let's, let, let's go. So Acts 1. Uh, now, um, uh, it begins, uh, let me point this out, if you have your Bibles, and because and, I'm not going to put the, I don't have it up on the screen. Open up to Acts 1.1. I'm not on point one yet, so I'm, this is, this is uh, uh, I'm not on point one yet, so just uh, hold on. I want to introduce us a little bit to the book of Acts. 
And I want to know something. Acts 1, uh, verses 1 through 3. Um, the first account, I, I composed Theophilus. Everybody got it? Acts 1, verse 1. <clears throat> the first account I composed Theophilus about all the Jews began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up, after he had, been, after he had by the Holy Spirit, given orders to, excuse me, to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Okay. We're going to go back to this in just a second, but keep your finger there. Let's go to the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28. All right, and some of you might recognize this. I'm going to see if, see if you do, and will tell me what it's called. Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. Last two verses in the book of Acts. Acts 28, 30 and 31. Referring to Paul... It says he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. All right. What did you notice? Something that was appeared in both the beginning and the ending. And what's, and what's that called? Kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Very good. Acts 1 verse 3. Jesus was preaching for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Acts 28 31. Paul was preaching about the kingdom of God. It begins and ends with, right? And what's that called? Anybody remember that? Uh, there is, it's out of his tongue, but he can't uh, get it out. <laughs> yeah, you got it. An inclusio. It's called an inclusio. Right, it's an ancient author's way of framing a section, or most often an, an entire book. Right? Remember, Mark frames his gospel with the Son of God. Matthew frames his gospel with, he'll be God among Emmanuel, and lo, I'm with you always in the end of the age. So you have this framing, the gospel, the, 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 sorry, not the gospel, the book of, uh, of uh, Acts is framed by reference to the kingdom of God. It begins and ends that way. Ancient hearers, ancient readers would have absolutely recognized that. So what's the book of Acts about? Answer the kingdom of God. So it doesn't stop with Jesus. Right, and I'm going to deal with Acts 1, 6 through 8 in just, a, in just a few minutes here. And I'm going to give you what may be a different interpretation of it, unfortunately. Because the popular interpretation, I think, is misleading. Um, the understanding of, we often think, okay, the kingdom of God is what Jesus was talking about. And then the kingdom of God is when Jesus returns. And everything in the middle is like a parenthesis or, or just like not about, it's like, no. Everything in the middle is also about the kingdom of God. Now, let's go back to Acts 1 for a moment now. And, and this is still not point number one yet, even though I may repeat things that are, that are going to be on your notes a little bit. But let's notice a couple things about the book of Acts. He references them in verse 1, Acts 1.1. In the first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jews began to do and to teach. What's he referring to in Acts 1.1? His earthly ministry, everything he was talking about and doing. And What's Luke referring to? Not Jesus, not, not, but Luke. Mm -hmm. In my first account, what? what? And he's talking about his first book. Which is Luke. the Gospel of Luke. Right. Yeah. In my first account, it's the Gospel of Luke. He's, re he's referencing the Gospel of Luke. And it's obviously the Gospel of Luke because it says, I told you about all Jews began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken, that, that's the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and in fact, we, it's affirmed because he refers to Theophilus, whom Luke 1 was written to, which we suspect might have been the man financing uh, the endeavor, etc., etc about all Jews began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. 
He, verse 3, he also presented himself alive and suffering by many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days. Speaking about the, the things concerning the kingdom of God. So notice, the kingdom of God is not just something Jesus did during his ministry years. Because after the resurrection, he's still preaching about the kingdom of God. So, obviously, Luke uh, is continuing. Uh, it's a sequel there, etc. All right, so let's go down. Uh, Acts 1, 1 through 8, the first point on your outline then. The resurrected Jesus is now Lord of all. <clears throat> the resurrected Jesus is now uh, the Lord of all. The book of Acts is a story about the early Christian mission. And here's the key. The kingdom of God has come, and God continues to build it, through his people. And I think I referenced this, and, and, and maybe I didn't, but the, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? I had this experience a number of years ago because I'm slow. And I may have said this to you when, when, we, when we looked at the Gospel of Matthew. And that is, I always thought Thy kingdom come. I'm giving you permission, Lord, to bring your kingdom. Which is crazy. But what actually we're saying when we say thy kingdom come is, Lord, here I am. Manifest and build your kingdom in and through me. I'm available. I'm submitting the work of the king, right? And it's, it's crazy. Think about this. I've been preaching on the book of Acts uh, at, at, at my church beginning in January. I said, you know, it would have been really, in my opinion, a lot easier if Jesus would have just like hung around and we would just like follow him. Okay, you go make the food for the 5,000 and we'll clean up all the extra food. Mm -hmm. right? And we'll do like the, you, know, you be the Billy Graham and we'll do the pastoral care afterwards, <laughs> right? You be the evangelist, you walk on water, you prove who you are, all people will repent, and then we'll just like welcome into our churches and we'll, we'll, we'll do all the cleanup work. It'll be a lot easier. Jesus like, no, I'm checking out and I'm leaving you guys in charge. Like, what? <laughs> because we know what happens when we're in charge. We argue, we, we bicker, we stumble, we fall, we complain, we grumble, right? We're frail, we're weak, we challenge. You know, somebody's a prophetic voice and we argue against that guy and we shut him down. Right? And then somebody over here is a con man, we just follow him. <laughs> and, and, and that's what the letters of the testament are about, by the way, right? All the problems. You know, the, the early church was, a, was messed up. And, and it's like, why did you leave us in charge? But if you think about it, because Jesus could only be at one place, or chose to only be at one And now sending us out, the gospel flourishes. So in my copy of the book of Acts, and I write in my Bible, and so if it's sacrilegious, I'm in a lot of trouble. Yeah. In my copy of the book of Acts, at the end of Acts 28, I wrote, Paul spent two years in his own rented house, preaching about the kingdom of God, uh, and, and teaching about concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, with all openness unhindered, and then I wrote in, dot, 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 to be continued. Because the story of the church doesn't end in Acts 28. It just continues. And we need to see ourselves the commissioning that Jesus gives the disciples in Acts 1 and in Acts 2, that's ours. He's talking to us also. So I think this is so significant. Does that make sense? Well, I think this is so significant. All right, so the Gospel of Matthew ends with go out and tell nations to make disciples. 
the, the Gospel of, of Luke ends with preaching repentance to all the nations. The Gospel of John ends with, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Now, the Gospel of Mark probably ends the same way also. I don't know if you, if you noticed this, but we didn't discuss this in our study of Mark. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they probably all end with go. Right? Matthew, Luke, and John certainly do. Mark has these 12 verses at the end of the Gospel of Mark, verses 9 through 20 of Mark 16. Then if you have your Bibles, it probably has a big line above it saying, like, these manuscripts are not in the original. But we know that Mark chapter 16, verse 8 is not the last verse. So we're certain that the Gospel of Mark doesn't end with Mark 16, 8. The last word in Mark 16, 8 in the Greek text is the word for. And for never ends a sentence. Yeah, some, so we, the, the ending of the Gospel of Mark was probably lost. The ending that we have, I don't think is the right one. But we just don't know. And there's like three or four different endings out there. So, but the point is, there probably is an ending to the Gospel of Mark, because 16, 8 is not it. There is a verse 9, we just don't know what it says. And it probably says, go out to the nations. And 9 through 20 kind of say that, but it's probably, you know, it's got that snake passage, right? You know, and it's like, yeah, that's probably not actually from Jesus, but we don't really know the end. The point being is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with, uh, uh, I'm going to send to the nations. All right. Now, let's go to Ezekiel 37 for something extremely important. And I put Isaiah 65. I'm on point number two, I think. I think you guys have point two, right? Yeah. Yeah, re uh, resurrection. There you go. Point number two. Resurrection uh, is new creation language. All right. And I put Isaiah 65 and 2 Corinthians 5 on your notes. But let's actually add Isaiah Ezekiel 37 to the mix. Okay, so here's the point. Resurrection language is a way of referring to the great restoration the long way to time when Israel's God will reign again. And I said resurrection is new creation language. But let's actually look at that from Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. You guys can all hear me okay. I hope the recording's coming out with that organ. It won't be all right, so. And if you're listening online, there's an organ in the background and that's blessing God's people, so we're all good with it, right? So, it's like, you're messing up my recording. It's like, no, we're not. Um, all right, Ezekiel 37, this is the prophet Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon me, verse 1. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. He set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And lo, they were very dry. Dry bones means they're really dead. No cartilage, no ligaments, no, they're, they're, they've been dead for a long time. In verse 3, he said to me, Son of Man, which is Ezekiel's favorite, favorite title for himself. He calls himself Son of Man 70 times. Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. And I'll put sinners on you and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. Now, the language of Ezekiel 37 is creation language. Because uh, Ezekiel's going to go on. Let's go skip down to verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come forth from the four winds, O breathe, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. Ezekiel is to breathe on them, and the bones will come to life. 
That's what happened with Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam creates, a, 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 God creates a corpse, and then God gives Adam the breath of life. He breathed, in fact, the, the, the Hebrew of Ezekiel 37 and Genesis 2 is identical. He breathed on him, and he became a living being. Right? The Greek of Ezekiel 37 and of Genesis 2 is actually identical. We might have looked, did we look at this passage when we did, when we did John? Apparently not, because your, 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 your stone faces tell me that, 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 that we didn't do it. All right. Um, uh, <clears throat> remember John 20? We looked at John 20 briefly uh, our last time we were together. Uh, it begins with on the first day of the week. Remember that? And then it says in verse 19 on the first day of the week. If, go ahead and turn there. Uh, and I said, John wouldn't repeat first day of the week unless it was something important. Remember, John's gospel begins with in the beginning. Right, right. So it's creation language. And it actually turns out to be new creation language. He, he wants us to think of, of, of Genesis, but he's actually moving us to new creation. So Jesus rises from the dead on the first day of the week. It's the first day of the new creation. And remember, Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. Adam was a gardener in Eden. So you have all these creation allusions there. And then in John 20, it says that Jesus breathed on them. John 20, sorry about that. Uh, John 20, verse uh, 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The word breathed on them is this, and the expression is the same expression in Ezekiel 37 and in Genesis chapter 2 in the Greek. It's this new resurrection. It's this new creation. Something new is happening, and it's this new creation. So if, so if it was semi-dry, that would have been new creation. No, it could have been new creation. Uh, this is very dry. Right? Yeah, yeah. The reason for very dry is I'm doing the impossible. It's even more difficult than you thought because they're not like kind of dead. They're totally dead. Yeah. Right. Now, if you go on Ezekiel 37, you'll, you'll find out that Ezekiel is told that the bones represent the whole house of Israel. In fact, in later in 37, it says take two sticks and merge them into one. One stick representing Israel, one stick representing Judah. It's the northern and southern tribes together. What's incredible, though, is by the time of Ezekiel, the northern tribes don't exist any longer. They've been abolished. They've been, they've been assimilated into the Assyrian. They don't exist as a distinct entity. And the answer is it doesn't matter. God's resurrecting them. Right, the point of that is, is this resurrection, this new creation, is what Jesus was doing. So we're he was about something supernatural. Supernatural in the sense of new creation. Yeah. Sense of new, and so we're going to see new creation in 2 Corinthians. We'll, we'll look at that in the, uh, um, uh, next time we get together, uh, etc. All right? So number three then. The resurrection is revolutionary. It marks the victory of the kingdom of God over the kingdoms of the world, and it marks the beginning of the new creation. The ki- I, know this, I want to stress, the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to take, because I have full disclosure, here, here we go. All right. uh, if you take the theology class, I'm not sure if you've been getting into this at all in, in your theology class. All right. There are different perspectives in Christian theology on the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's one perspective that says, well, Jesus started it, and then when he comes back, He'll finish it. And that the present is like this interlude. There's another perspective that says, 
Well, Jesus didn't really start it at all. Um, all he did was die for our salvation. But when he comes back in the future, that's when he comes back as the king. So he came the first time to be the suffering Messiah. He comes the second time to be the ruling king. Obviously, you've seen that I'm not affirming that because I, I don't think there's a distinction between the two at all. It, it makes a distinction that, that could only have come about by modern Western thinking. We, we make such distinctions that Jesus would never have, have made a distinction at all. We found out that the way Jesus became the king was through dying. Right? And I pointed that out with you know, the crown of thorns, right? the side above his head says Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. He was crucified for being the king. So you say you're a king to, to Pilate, and his answer is, yes, I am, but my kingdom is not of this world. So he acknowledges that he's a king, but a different kind of king. So I don't know. And then there's another uh, 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 theology that says, which is more of what I'm affirming, and that is that the kingdom is both now and to come. That there's a presence of the kingdom now, and there's also the futureness of the kingdom then also. Yes. Uh, and that Jesus began the kingdom, is continuing to build the kingdom through us, that's what I'm espousing, right? and that the kingdom climaxes at the second coming of Jesus. Right? And then there's other nuances of each of those three different views there, which I don't think, you know, it's not the only Because he's sovereign. Because he's, that, that, that's correct, that's right. right. But my theology, what, and what I'm stressing is, is that this kingdom of God is the beginning of the new creation, and that the new creation is not something that we just simply wait for the book of Revelation for it all to happen. And I'm going to show you some things here in Acts and, 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 and in these notes here that's going to espouse that. Uh, make sense? Yes. So when Luke, uh, when he talks about the kingdom of God does not come with observation, it is within you, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's okay. Well, though I think the translation of that passage might, might be more emphatically, it's not, I think that the translation would be, it's in your midst, mm -hmm. meaning I'm standing right here, right? It's here. Remember, in the Gospel of Luke, you also have statements like, I saw Satan fall from heaven, like my name. Satan's a defeated entity, not waiting to be defeated. That's something, Revelation 12 is some future. It's a past tense. I saw Satan fall from heaven. When was Satan defeated? At the cross, or more specifically, at the resurrection. That's the beginning of this new creation. And now, Satan's this defeated entity, and, and I'll, I'll kind of skip to Revelation for a second. In the New Testament, Satan is not in heaven, ever. There's only one exception, it's Revelation 12. And Revelation 12 is a historical past tense description of Satan being in heaven and then being cast out after war with Lucifer, Lucifer uh, after war with Michael. Michael, uh, Michael and Satan wage war, and Satan's kicked out of heaven. And he goes down to the earth, Revelation 12, and it says, and woe to the earth, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has a short time. So the question is, what caused Satan to get kicked out of heaven? All right, note, Satan's in heaven on occasion in the Old Testament. Most notably in Job, and I think it's also Zechariah, right, where he appears before. Right, and in the book of Job, it says he's the accuser of the brothers. In the book of Revelation, he's described as the accuser of the brothers. I suggest, I'm, I'm skipping ahead, and this is my theological perspective, so you don't have to uh, uh, affirm it if you don't want, but here's, here's, here's my two cents worth to it. And that is this. Satan's the accuser of the brothers because the book of Romans tells us that, and Hebrews is emphatic, that the blood of bulls and goats does not take away sins. Right. Romans 3 says that God gave us a, um, uh, uh, um, uh, what's the word I want? When you have a student loan and you haven't paid it back yet, you, you get a, a forbearance. All right. That, that, that God kind of let Abraham and, and Ruth 
and Sarah and, and, and David, he let them in with a forbearance, saying, you know what, you actually still owe me for your sins. So Satan's in heaven saying, God, you have no right to let these guys in. The wages of sin is death. Where's the justice? There's no justice here. You can't. So he's accusing the brothers. With the atonement, Satan has no accusation. Sin has been paid for. There's nothing Satan can say because God's no longer like unjust, quote unquote, for letting people in. And so now he's, uh, and if you look at Revelation 12, you'll see there's a woman with a child. She gives birth to the child. The, the dragon stood before the woman so that he might devour the child. The child's Christ. So he might devour the child, but the child was snatched up to God into his throne. That's the resurrection and the ascension. And there, was war, and there was war in heaven. So if you, just, if you just run that narrative out, it simply says, with the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, Satan's kicked out. It's not some future thing. It's, it, the only reason why Satan is no longer in heaven is because justice has been served, atonement has come. And so now you see in the New Testament, you see, watch out because the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? James 5 and, and elsewhere. So you see Satan's on, and Revelation 12 says, woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has a short time. Right? So uh, uh, Oscar Coleman, a great theologian says that the difference is between D-Day and V-Day, right? D-Day, or, or I, I always get these backwards. Uh, uh, D-Day is the, the day that the, the, the battle, the decisive day of victory, right? V-Day is when the victory is finally culminated. So in, in a war, there's a decisive battle, and that decisive battle turns the tide, and, and, the, and the war, it, it's just obvious who's won. Maybe a better way to use it will be a, a core analogy, and that is um, somebody gets convicted of a crime, and then they get sentenced months later. Satan's been convicted, and he's lost and been found guilty. His sentencing hasn't happened yet. And in between the time of his defeat, which is the cross and the resurrection, and his sentencing, He's been kicked down to the earth. And he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's really, really upset. <laughs> so, and that speaks a lot as we, as we move forward, as we discuss the books of the New Testament. And, and we get into the fact that, that uh, um, uh, how many problems there were in the churches and how many conflicts there were, how many false teachers there were. It, it, it's, it's, we shouldn't be surprised, folks, because there's a devil who's after us. And why is it so important to pay for your pastors and leaders? Because there's a devil after us. Right? So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching too much. I'm, I'm never, never going to finish. Here we go. Romans chapter 1 now. Romans, so let me make this, or, or number 4. The early Christian message is that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. Right? We've already discussed that. Right? I'm, I'm sorry. Point number 4. Point number 4. Point number 4. The early Christian message, it should be on the first page. First page. Point number 4. Oh, what happened? It's right there. The early Christian message is. The early Christian message is, Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. That, that's, the, that's the climax of the message. Right, and uh, look at Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I clearly have to pick it up a little bit and we're never going to finish. So here we go. Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. Um, actually, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 just to give you some context. Paul, a bondservant of Christ, Jesus, called on as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul introduces himself. Who's, here's who I am. Right. And, and I was set apart for the gospel of God. Now look what he says about the gospel of God. Which he promised 
beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of the descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. I think that's affirming everything I'm saying. That the gospel is what God promised beforehand in the Old Testament scriptures. And it was about his son, who was born as a descendant of David. See, it's the story of Israel being fulfilled, right? And who, who was declared the son of God, not when he comes back. He was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead through the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is the gospel. Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. Now you say that, by the way, in, to Romans, right? Romans is written to somebody in Rome, the church in Rome. Them's fighting. This is political. This is, this is, this is, this is sorry, Caesar, you are not Lord. And why Christians were slaughtered in the first 300 years? Because they would not burn incense before an image of the emperor and confess that Caesar is Lord. Sorry, we can't do that. So, uh, there's your problem. All right, moving along. Now, let's see. Uh, capital B. The Commission of the Nations. Acts 1, 6 through 8. All right. Uh, let, let's see here. I want to make sure I look at your notes, if you don't mind. Yeah, you're, you're good. All right. Uh, gonna, all right. So, Luke 24, 47. That's, that's the commission there. Uh, letter, a, letter A. Yeah. Exodus 19, 4 through 6. I'm just going to have to be brief on this. Exodus 19, 4 through 6 is the prelude to Exodus 20. Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 19, God says to Israel, and we're going to see this when we get to 1 Peter, so I'll save it a little bit for then. But uh, he tells the Israelites, you are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And this, I'm, I'm actually quoting 1 Peter here. So that you may proclaim his excellencies. God set apart Israel as a chosen race, as a holy nation, as a, as a, in order to make God known. Right now, Isaiah 42, 6 and 49.6 is really significant, and I'm going to build on something that we discussed very briefly here, because this is going to come up later on in the book of Acts. Actually, I'm, going to, I'm just going to touch on it now, because I'm looking at the clock. So let me read Isaiah 42.6 and 49.6, and make note of these, and then make sure you go back in your Bibles and highlight and underline, because I think these are two significant passages. And if we had time, uh, really, to give more detail, uh, uh, it would be, it'd be great. Note Isaiah 42.1, if you have your Bible open, and I'll just read it if you don't. It says, Behold my servant. Isaiah 42 is addressed to the servant. Right, and here's what it says. Verse 6, uh, Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, have called you, you being the servant, whoever the servant is, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the peoples, to the people as a light to the nations. You will be a light to the nations. This is the role of the servant. Okay? Now let's continue. Isaiah 49, verse 6. Isaiah 49. Okay? Isaiah 49. Now, verse 3. Note Isaiah 49, verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel. So now we know the answer. The servant is Israel. Now, we might stop, and if we're talking with a Jewish person, like someone who's a modern-day Jew, they would say, without question, the servant is the people of Israel. And in all honesty, they're, they're kind of right. Because it says, you are my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. 
Israel in whom I delight. And Jacob and Israel, same guy, right? Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Uh, so it's Israel. But if we look carefully in the Hebrew of Isaiah 49, we might note, and you can't see this in English because the word you in English is just always plural. Right? You just don't know it's singular or plural is the same. But in Hebrew and in Greek, the word you can be singular or plural. And every other time, in Isaiah 42, the word you was plural. But now the word you in Hebrew is actually singular. He said to me, not a plural, me, an individual. You, singular, are my... So there's some individual that is actually... We know, we, you know where I'm going, right? It's Jesus, right? There's some individual person who's going to fulfill the role of Israel. All right, so let's skip down to verse 9. Uh, verse 6, Isaiah 42, 49, verse 6. He says to me, Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? It's a rhetorical question. Is it too small a thing for you to restore Israel and Jacob, the northern and southern tribes? And the answer, yeah, that's too small. You can do more than that. So remember Ezekiel 37? I'm going to raise up the, 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 the valley of dry bones, which is the whole house of Israel. And Isaiah is like, that's too small. You can do better than that. Look at the next passage, next part of the verse. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I'm also going to make you a light to the nations. Now, uh, uh, let me note this. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 2, there's that passage where there's a man named Simeon. Remember Simeon? He's an old man, and he was told, I will not die until I see the Messiah. Right. And Simeon in Luke 2 says, when Mary brings the baby in, baby Jesus in, he says, I can die now. Right? I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what, what he says. I can die now, because my eyes have seen the salvation. Right? And look what he says in Luke chapter 2. He says, now, Lord, verse, I'm in uh, Luke 2, verse 29. Now, Lord, you can let your servant die in peace according to your word. Because, in the word, my translation says for, but for or because. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Look at verse 30, 32. A light of revelation to the Gentiles or to the nations. That's a quote from Isaiah 42, 6 and 49, 6. Okay? So the point is that the commit. Uh, let's see where I'm at. It's the commission of the nations. The work of the people of God is to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name to all the nations. And it's the fulfillment of Isaiah 42, 6 and 49, 6. But wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the fulfillment of this. Let's skip to Acts 13. This is probably not on your notes here. It probably is uh, sooner or later, but I'm going to skip ahead for a little bit. Uh, Acts 13. Okay, everybody tracking with me? Isaiah 42, 6 and 49, 6. Israel's task was to be a light to the nations. We got a glimpse that that task is going to be fulfilled by an individual, but we're not sure yet. All of a sudden, Simeon quotes it in, Acts 2, in Luke 2 and says, fulfilled by Jesus. That's why Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But we also know that Jesus said to the disciples, you're the light of the world, don't we? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Something's going on. Acts 13. Right, we'll, we, we won't give you the whole context here, but in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas have gone on their first missionary journey, and they went into the synagogues and preached about Jesus of Nazareth. Right? And I, I believe it's Pisidian Antioch, that's the city that they're in. We'll look at the map in a little while. Um, and the problem is, is that the, all the Gentiles were like, yes, this is awesome, this is awesome, great, great, great. And all the Jews are like, oh, we don't like this. 
because all these Gentiles are coming in and they have racial issues then, right? And, 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 and significant problems. So Paul says in Acts 13, verse 46, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Luke tells us, that Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be preached to you first, meaning to the Jews. Since you repudiated it, however, and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. And look what he says in verse 47. For, and the word for often means the reason why I'm going to the Gentiles is because the Lord commanded us. I have placed you as a light to the Gentiles that you should bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now that might cause you a little problem here. Because Paul says that Isaiah 49.6 is about me and Barnabas. Isaiah 42.6 and 49.6, I have made you a light of revelation in the nations. And that's why I'm going to the Gentiles now because you Jews have your chance and now, and Isaiah is about me. But Luke says that Simeon said that verse was about Jesus. Make sense? Do you see the quantity? See the dilemma? What's the answer? How, how do we resolve that? Jesus and us. It's a both. That's right. It's about Jesus, who is the light of the world, right. who now commissions us by, fill, by filling us with the Spirit to go out and be the light of the world. It's both. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, but then he also says, but you're the light of the world. So it can be applied to Jesus by Simeon and by Paul to himself. And now Luke's the same author, by the way. Luke knows what's going on. He knows he quoted a Simeon in Luke 2 and applied that passage to Jesus, and now he's quoting Paul and applying that passage to, to Paul. Luke's not making any mistakes. He, he, Luke sees what's happening. That's why it's so important to see the book of Acts as the church carrying forth the mission of Jesus to the nations, and why that mission doesn't end in Acts 28, it continues with us now. So remember our study of the Gospel of John, when I said, remember the Gentiles come up to, to Philip and say, we want to speak to Jesus? No, we, we read that, right? In John 12. And, and Jesus says, and, and Philip says, hey, Jesus, these Gentiles want to see you. And Jesus says, unless the kernel of wheat dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I'm like, Jesus, they just want to talk to you. What are you talking about? He seems to be waxing eloquently about something. The answer is, when the nations come, it's time for me to die. Because the nations is your job. Now, Jesus, there were exceptions. He preached to the nations here and there. But the nations is your job. So you go uh, to the nations. Okay, I'm taking clearly too long because we're running out of time. We're going to take a break in a few minutes. Uh, any questions on that? I, I know I'm going fast, too. Well, so. I'm, I'm back in at, at, yeah. um, at uh, okay. shoot. Where, where it says that I have made you a light for the Gentiles. For the Gentiles. Yeah. I mean, it would take that and say, well, uh, can you re-explain that one? Um, there were four in that. Well, the word for there is just being, it's just a preposition saying, uh, uh, like, this is the, for this purpose, right? And the purpose is, and it doesn't mean that, that, to, to, that you're not going to preach to the Jews also, but it's, remember, because remember the passage is being quoted as Isaiah 49, mm -hmm. which begins with uh, 49, 6. Is it, it's too small a thing that I'll make you like, uh, that I'm going <clears> to <throat> bring back Israel and Judah. I will also make you like the nations. So Paul's not denying the role of, of being a light to the Jews. 
It's just that this role is also the nations. So I, I went to you Jews first. You rejected it. So now I have to also go to the Gentiles. So I'm not sure if I see what, what your, your dilemma is. No, that's good. Okay. okay. It, it's not exclusive. It's not exclusive. That's correct. But you would say it that way because that's pretty radical what he's saying. Well, it, it, yeah. But see, they should know Isaiah 49. They should know Isaiah 49 where it's also a light to the Gentiles. Right. In the significance by being 46 and 47 verses, you know. No. significant The verse numbers? Yes. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think so at all. Yeah, no. So, okay, here we go. So the question now is this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make sure I see, see you notes there. You're right. Here we go. So number two. All right. Let's go to Acts 1 6. I'm going to, I'm going to delve with this problem briefly, and then we'll take a little bit of a break and see, see if we can do it. Acts 1 6. My, recommend, my suggestion is this. And, and by the way, my suggestion is affirmed by a large number of scholars, so I'm not alone on this one. Right. But remember, I mentioned to you that there's different views on the kingdom? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, the different views of the kingdom are going to trace their theology to this verse, and we're going to read it differently. And the popular reading is probably the one that has been influ most influential. So the disciples, so it Luke tells us at the beginning of Acts that Jesus appeared for 40 days preaching about the kingdom of heaven. And he tells the disciples that you're going to be my witnesses, which is what we, what we see Paul talking about. You know, that's Isaiah 49. Uh, you're going to be my witnesses of the nations. Um, uh, verse 5, John, said, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, now remember, the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet, so they still don't understand the parables. They still don't understand what's going on. It's not until the Spirit of God comes that they get the understanding. Remember, after Jesus rose from the dead, then we understood that he was talking about his body. Well, actually, after the Holy Spirit came, then we understood. The understanding doesn't come yet, so they still don't get it yet. They're still expecting a physical, political, messianic rule from Jerusalem where Rome is outed. And that's what they're going to ask Jesus about. When's that going to happen? Okay, so verse 6. When they, they came together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Note, Israel exclusive. And the answer is, have you not been listening for three and a half years. Don't you remember what I did in the synagogue in Nazareth, how I went in and said, no, I'm going to the Gentiles too? Don't you remember Mark 7 when I said all foods are clean and, we, and, and then the Syrophoenician woman and I, I took care of her? Don't you remember when I said, when the Gentiles came, I said, hey, it's time for me to die because you're going to the nations? Don't you remember Isaiah 49, 6? That's right. I'm going to send you all to, it's not for Israel only, but they don't understand that. Because the Spirit hasn't come. All right, so Jesus said to them, verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or epochs that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, and don't disconnect verse 8 from verse 7. But, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and also to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, note verse 8 is kingdom language. So the question is, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And the answer is, all right, I'm going to do it soon, but I'm not telling you when. Just stay here in Jerusalem. And I'm not telling you when it's going to happen. We read a few verses later. It happens in 10 days. In 10 days, they're empowered by the Spirit to do what? 
to be God's witnesses to the nations and to take the kingdom to the nations. But many read verse 7 as going, well, I'm not telling you when it's going to be. It'll be in a few thousand years. Right? I'm not telling you about the times or epics. Don't worry about that stuff. In the meantime, go be, go be missionaries. Separating the kingdom from the mission. But we can't separate the kingdom from the mission because the mission is the kingdom. That's why Jesus told us to pray, thy kingdom come. That makes sense? So in my view, and I'm telling you, I'm being honest with you, right? This is my perspective, which a majority of scholarship is with me, so I'm not, I'm not alone. It's not some minority opinion. All right? It's not the popular evangelical view that we commonly hear, though. That's, what, that's why I'm being clear with you guys right? and, being, and being honest with you guys. In my perspective, you can't separate the mission and the kingdom. So when Jesus says, I'm not telling you when, he's not saying it'll be a few thousand years. He says, I'm not telling you when. But just wait here, and it'll happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If the power of coming is associated with the kingdom, then it happens 10 days later. And you can't put 2,000 years or more in there. Make sense? Yeah. All right. Now, uh, let's go ahead. Now, now one of the yeah, questions that you know this. Now, the kingdom of God is, is in operation in the hearts of the church, in the believers. Correct. And he wants us to operate as uh, servants of his kingdom with power. He gives us Correct. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Correct. Gospel. And I think the clarity is is the literal reign versus the empowered spiritual reign. Okay. You got to make clear. Well, so here's so here's how I'm going to respond to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Literal spiritual distinctions that we like to make in evangelicalism would have made no sense to Jesus and Paul. Again, it's modern Westernism, right? That that radically distinguishes these two. So what we commonly hear, some, some who will say, well, the kingdom's here kind of, it's here spiritually, but it's not here physically. It's like, no, that distinction is not going to be, it's not going to hold up biblically. Okay. And here, here's what I mean by that. And that's this. Um, Jesus reigns literally in my heart. Right. 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 That's right. right. In reality. Real. Through. Right. 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 And I literally. Right. Am a, the temple of God, and so are all of you right. who are filled with this. Right? We literally are the temple. Right. right. So, Lord, we hear silence outside. We pray your mercy and grace upon whatever's happening. We give justice and truth and peace and health and, and watch over whatever's transpiring. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right. Um, a lot of people want to reject that already. Say it again. A lot. That's correct. To reject that right the, now. Because we've been influenced by enlightenment, and I can't go too far on this here, but I've got a podcast that if you want to, I'll show you where it's at to get more detail on this. We've been influenced by the enlightenment thinking. Enlightenment thinking, and this is secular thinking, that's why this is so bad. Secular thinking is we know everything we know because of science and observation and experimentation, or the rationalists say, I think, therefore I am. We know everything through reason and philosophy. And enlightenment thinking is a rejection of God and a rejection of revelation. Now, what they said was, well, if you want to be faith and religious, you can also. But religion is up there and it's not really knowable. What we know is science, observation, or reason. So there's this radical distinction between faith and fact, science and religion. And we made these two separate chambers. And so what a lot of evangelicals have done is said, there's literal and spiritual. And it's this influence of this dichotomy that comes from Western rationalism, enlightenment thinking. Okay. Now here, so there's a great hymn that you may know. He lives, he lives, right? Ask me how I know he lives. 
Connection in my heart. Not my mind. It's this, it's this, it's this dichotomy that separates the two. The key, the key, the key, and I know we're going to discuss this even further. Okay. I agree with you. It's a personal, real reign. Correct. That we're part of. Uh, but he, there's a time where he's going to put down all nations. Correct. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, correct. Not the literal. I mean, that's where correct. There won't be no democracy in the United States. It's going to be his kingdom where he's given new heaven and new right. earth. That's, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, eschatological teaching. I know that. Exactly. Right. The, the distinction that I want to make, though, is right. is that the kingdom of God has a physical right. physicality I'm to it because right. the blind receive sight. I'm with you. The deaf can hear, right. the lame can walk again. Right. 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 It's good news to the poor. Right. Right. When we make the gospel only a spiritual thing, yeah. mm -hmm. then we don't make it about overcoming poverty right. or we, overcoming injustices. Yeah. Yeah. How we right. phrase it to make That's right. it clear. That's right. right. That's right. So the idea that the church, right. so you see a lot of evangelicalism that, that says yeah. the church doesn't need to be doing justice things. Yeah. Jesus right. will do that when he comes back. Yeah. Or right. even, how, let me go a little bit more controversial. The church doesn't need to be about environmental things. Right. When Jesus comes back, he's going to burn this whole thing up. Yeah. No, no. But if we understand the kingdom as a restoration of creation, right. as Adam is a gardener, right. as Adam and Eve were called to be caretakers of the earth, then we understand the resurrection right. to be about this new creation, and right. we are to care for the old creation because the old right. is being transformed into the new. Right. So that would fall in line with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Ah, <coughs> oh, okay, good question. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. All right, so I've heard that before. So, everyone hear that? The, the Jehovah's Witnesses um, are actually influenced by modernism and, and Enlightenment thinking also, because what they do is is they say 144,000 get to go to heaven, right. see there's their spiritual, and the rest live on a restored earth. Yeah. They get the restored earth part correct in part, but no, they still have this dualistic thinking. But there's a, there's a, there's a sense where there, there's, there's truth there, because it is, Romans 8, the whole creation wails and groans, waiting for its liberation from its bondage to decay. I guess what I'm saying is that they're not interested in voting. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so they become more separatist. Right. Instead of transforming culture and transforming kingdoms, they become separatist. Because, again, that's their, that's their dualism. That the kingdom of God only is spiritual and, and we don't engage in the physical. And, and so you can see how, so it's not Jehovah's Witness theology. They're, they're, they're getting some parts right, though. But, but of course, note that the 144,000 remain in God's presence and the rest live on paradise. But paradise isn't God's restored presence amongst us, you know, so they're missing all that, radically so. Well, my question, yeah, it, it appears, though, that they still didn't understand. That's they're correct. They're still asking, when are you going to bring this kingdom right. for Israel? That's Even correct. Even after he, he's arisen now and everything else, and they're still lost. But the Spirit's not there. It's not until the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes, John 16, He will remind you of all that I did. But He tells them pretty clearly... That's not going to happen. That's right. But because they, you have to go to the uttermost. Until they receive the Spirit in that fullness of sense, mm -hmm. they are not new creations and they're stuck in the old. They still, they, 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 they still don't understand. Mm -hmm. So that's the difficulty in why Acts 1 can be subject to misunderstanding. Because you can say, well, Acts 1 is post-resurrection. Yeah, but Acts 1 is pre-Pentecost. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I think Pentecost becomes the key. And, and it's deep-seated because even after the Spirit came, Peter still had to be told again. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're going to get into that too, right? Yeah, It's yeah. a deep-seated thing. That, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Peter's still going to not want to go to the Gentiles. We'll, we'll see that as well. Uh, hey, let's take a break. Let's take a break. You, you, you deserve a break.